재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵. We're continuing our discussion on these uh, anti-terror measures that some politicians would like to uh, beef up in the face of what people say are security concerns not only at Incheon International Airport but around the world with this rising threat of global terrorism. We've been weighing the pros and cons of it, the delicate balance between security and civil liberties. Uh, we're going to be joined by an expert uh, on uh, military and defense issues very shortly. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a cacao talk message. Uh, joining us here in the studio, we have Professors Hwang Jong-wook and Kim Tae-hyung to uh, give us their thoughts. Professor Hwang, we kind of mentioned this before, but uh, maybe some more extreme members of the opposition would say, hey, this all would be academic if the uh, NIS didn't um, meddle in the election. We might have a new president that would be addressing uh, more pertinent issues to the people. Now, that's the extreme view, nonetheless. But what they could be thinking is, and now you want us to give this NIS even more <laughs> powers of, of uh, uh, being able to monitor and, and surveil the, the country. Uh, I suppose the counterargument could be, hey, look, these guys are in charge of helping protect the country. They are not going to try to uh, use this for any nefarious or political means, but we've seen examples in the United States where their um, NSA has been found to involve involve themselves in things that the average American citizen finds disturbing. It, it, is it potentially, you can't say for sure that these powers cannot be abused, right? I mean, in a very general terms, uh, the problems with you know, organizations with like NIS in Korea or NSA in the United States is the fundamentally it's not a very democratic process and it's not a very transparent process. Nobody really knows except for a few insiders exactly why certain decisions are made. And in a democratic society, we have to think about, okay, just in the sake of you know, security, do we give these particular intelligence agencies, which are basically black boxes within our democratic institutions, so sort of a you know, blank check to do whatever they want with our privacy. I think that that's, that's a seri- uh, se- serious theoretical threat that we need to be aware of. And, you know, as a democratic society, we do need to think about having a reliable, credible, and accountable supervisory framework within mm-hmm. organizations like in Korea, NIS, and over the U- NSA in the U.S., and I don't think neither Korea nor the United States actually get this right. Let's bring in our um, military and defense expert uh, on the line right now from Kumin University's Graduate School of Politics and Leadership, our friend, uh, Professor Park Kirak. Hello. Hello. Professor Park, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, what is the current level of terror threat posed by North Korea? Uh, we know in decades past uh, there was a bombing in Myanmar, there was a downing of a Korean Air Flight 858. Some people may consider the Yunpyeong shellings a terrorist attack as well. But uh, generally speaking, what is the, the level of threat posed by North Korea in terms of terrorism? Uh, when it comes to terror, we are not talking about terror by North Korea. I think we are talking about terrors by IS or right. any other international terror, terrorist organizations. However, we cannot exclude the possibility of terror activities by North Korea, as you mentioned. At the same time, war may be the extreme type of terror. North Korea has conducted four times of nuclear tests, and is believed to have succeeded to develop more than 10 nuclear weapons. So... I think we need to be fully prepared for the extreme terror that is a nuclear threat or real attack by North Korea. Uh, in this context, I would like to emphasize that even though we, are, we have ample possibility of various types of terror by IS or any other terror groups, 
I think we should be very cautious not to forget the priority of our deterrence and defense measures against a nuclear threat by North Korea. The emphasis on terror may weaken the necessity to prepare for the war, including nuclear attack, I think. Right. A very important point indeed, uh, mindful of all the other threats with global terrorism, but remembering that we are still technically in a state of war with uh, North Korea just a few kilometers uh, away from us. Uh, Professor Kim, generally speaking, and uh, in the old days of the KCIA, um, perhaps uh, they used different methods, which uh, maybe today would not be considered uh, very, very friendly, but... um, some people feel maybe they were better at this. The intelligence gathering capabilities of the current NIS, whether it's with North Korea, whether it's with other situations, d- does it fall short of the standards of, of years past? Uh, it's it kind of hard to compare um, because uh, there are you know, several different methods of uh, um, intelli- intelligence gathering capability. Um, more traditional one is known as human, human intelligence, um, like sending spies to other countries. Uh, but there is a more technical uh, intelligence, intelligence gathering methods, uh, which include uh, SIDINT, signals intelligence, and uh, imagery intelligence. Uh, so basically, uh, this method use um, satellites and, um, and drones. Um, so as time passed, um, time has passed, technology has progressed and advanced a lot. So in the past, especially during the Cold War period, uh, there were quite uh, active uh, uh, spy activities uh, in, in the Korean Peninsula. Uh, but that, that has been gradually replaced by uh, more tec- technology-based uh, intelligence-gathering capability, like uh, satellites and drones. Mm. Um, but there's, so there is a concern that um, South Korea's human, uh, human intelligence capability has been too weakened. Um, but actually, uh, if you look at um, uh, the technology-based uh, uh, intelligence-gathering gather- capability, uh, there should be uh, also a concern uh, because South Korea does not have its own uh, spy satellite. Uh, it still depends on the United States intelligence-gathering um, a, a bit too much. And, and so there is a plan uh, in South Korea mm. to acquire um, its own spy satellites, uh, which are essential to, um, to, uh, to promote uh, kill chain. Uh, right. Uh, but um, uh, there is no budget cut uh, to acquire in spice satellites mm. uh, in in this year, so that's another concern. Now, as a uh, defense and security expert, Professor Park, do you believe we should ramp up our uh, clandestine spying operations in North Korea? Professor Kim mentioned those uh, human assets. We should have more uh, active human assets uh, as we did in the past. Yeah, I strong, strongly support that, that idea, especially I think that we need very robust human operations to collect information and intelligence on the nuclear weapons development and the storage sites of North Korea. Without reliable intelligence, we cannot assess the right degree of North Korean uh, nuclear threat, and we cannot come up with relevant options to protect our people from the nuclear weapons. In this sense, I think the concept of giving the NIS the primary responsibility for, for terror may not be a good idea. The NIS, I think, should concentrate on the information gathering and intelligence analysis instead of taking measures to protect our people. The protection measures, I think, should be executed by Ministry of National Defense or Ministry of Public Safety and Security, I think, uh, which, you know, which was established in the uh, late, I think, 2014. Mm-hmm. Very Interesting point there. Professor Huang, again, a very philosophical 
question, but and this applies to many countries who struggle with this idea of national security and where do you draw the line. Is it okay to have some small sacrifices in privacy and, and personal freedoms, especially if it's in the overall uh, goal of keeping the entire country safe, that whole a few good men, right? You need me on that wall. <laughs> you want me on that wall. Do, is, there, is, is there a time where you do have to make those kind of sacrifices? Well, first of all, I love your Jack Nicholson impersonation. <laughs> well, I mean, in our daily lives, we readily do give up our privacy. You know, to t- take a you know, very simple example, when we go to airports, we readily submit to you know, pat-downs at security checkpoints, and, you know, we more or less have learned to live with that. I suppose, fundamentally, I guess my main philosophical uh, concern is that, you know, democratic society is, you know, assuming that there is a, you know, probably a, a trade-off between security versus privacy, is a trade-off being made in a democratic and credible fashion. And again, I guess if I'm, I repeat the point I made earlier, if you leave it up to agencies like NIS and NSA to make those decisions for us, for Korea, for U.S. and other intelligence agencies around the world, then s- s- such decisions get made behind closed doors, behind tra- democratic accountability, and I think that really does get to the heart of the matter. And Professor Park, uh, once again, uh, because uh, you are a noted security expert, uh, I want to get your thoughts on the uh, security breaches at Incheon International Airport, regardless of whether this is we're talking about Islamic terrorism or potential terrorism from um, other countries or including attacks from North Korea. Is that a clear indication that South Korea is certainly unprepared and vulnerable to, to potential attacks? And what do you think can be done to rectify the situation? Uh, I'm afraid I do not know the uh, all details of that incident, but I think that it may not be that serious security breaches as reported by newspaper. Mm. If there is somebody who wants to put something in the bathroom in the airport, I think that it is impossible for us to detect in advance or prevent it from happening. Uh, it found it turned out to be not explosives, and the place was not the designated area for the passengers after screening, as far as I know, by the security devices or personnel. In this context, I would like to emphasize that it is very easy to blame the government for all the mishaps occurred around us, but uh, fixing the problem is not that easy. A harsh blame cannot solve the problem. If you want to find the real solutions, we need to discuss the pros and cons of uh, increasing the security around all the airport areas and the cost and the side effects as well. So uh, it is very easy to say something is wrong, but it is not easy to fix the thing uh, in the long-term perspective, I think. Right. Uh, As always, Professor Park, we appreciate your insights and analysis on these important issues. Thank you once again for joining us. Appreciate it. Yes, my pleasure. That was Professor Pakirak from Kungmin University uh, giving us uh, some more of the perspective of a uh, military and security expert on this. And it's interesting because to note that uh, maybe from a more hawkish point of view, but uh, it nevertheless remains that uh, with the Incheon International Incident doesn't necessarily mean that you can uh, uh, conflate that into uh, the need for those uh, more stringent uh, anti-terror measures here as he's been pointing out that, look, it's it's right to be concerned about Islamic terrorism, but we still have to deal with North Korea, and that really is the biggest existential threat to uh, the country. Professor Kim, South Korea, and again, it's been uh, a country that's 
been at war with uh, North Korea for uh, well over five, six decades now. Uh, so they have uh, security apparatus in place. But how do they compare to other developed nations around the world uh, when it comes to whether it's certain policies or legislative instruments in dealing with attacks, including terrorism? Well, uh, at present moment, uh, South Korea does not have something to be called Anti-Terrorism Act, apparently. Um, and several developed nations uh, have it. Uh, you, as you mentioned, the United States has a Patriot Act, and France and uh, Great Britain also have similar uh, similar laws. Um, but uh, even though South Korea does not have uh, anti-terrorism law, uh, it still has, has several instruments and institutional measures uh, to deal with these kind of threats. Uh, after all, uh, as you mentioned, f- uh, because of the circumstances, South Korea has been very keen to national security. Um, so police and uh, uh, army all have uh, their own anti- uh, counter-terrorist forces, well-trained counter-terrorist forces. And on cybersecurity, there are several measures that allow the authority to monitor um, suspicious individuals or groups. Uh, sometimes, actually, they are criticized they go too far. Um, and on financial areas, there are something, uh, uh, some measures uh, uh, to check um, uh, some of the, um, the the money or other financial assets not to be used by the wrong hands. And the immigration office is also seems to be quite strong. Um, so I, I, I don't think South Korea is lacking um, necessary instruments uh, and measures. But of course, how well these are coordinated, is, that's, that's another story. Right. And so the debate is we have uh, an infrastructure in place that does protect the country to a certain extent. Now, if it's in the context of uh, global terrorism and trying to protect against ISIS, perhaps there needs to be more sophistication in some of the methods, as you're pointing out. But whether that means we need some kind of legislation that will provide that framework or not, I guess, still is that debate because of all those uh, contentious issues that we've been talking about, right? Absolutely. Professor Huang, now... This is something that for some Koreans is a point of pride. Other people say, well, you know, diversity is not a bad thing as as well. But uh, there is a point of pride by some people that Korea is very ethnically homogenous. Uh, it's a, a society that is linguistically, culturally, um, very, very much, um, pretty much across the board same, I guess, monocultural. And that is actually a good built-in uh, I suppose, uh, terrorism defense because of the fact that um, foreigners will stick out. And if you see something suspicious, uh, it'll be easy to do that. I feel like that's a bit of a double-edged sword, a bit of a slippery slope, but is that something that you can say is a good protection against terrorism? Well, I suppose it is. I mean, you know, unless we have like a, a, a completely new class of homegrown terror attack uh, possibilities, which you know, Korea doesn't have for the moment, but, you know, in the future, who knows? For the time being, you know, as long as Korea stays relatively homogenous, I guess the, it, it will be difficult for the foreigners just to come in and, you know, uh, commit acts of terror. At the same time, I think there are other factors that help uh, Korea too. You know, for one thing, you know, if you're thinking about global Islamic terrorism, then, you know, Korea is probably not the, on the very high end of the list among the global Islamic terrorists to, uh, as targets to go after, for one thing. And two, Korea is also, you know, surrounded by, you know, three sides by ocean and one side by heavily militarized, you know, uh, you know border with North Korea, which means that it's really hard to smuggle things into Korea. You know, one thing that kind of uh, leapt out after the, the terrorist attacks in France is Fra- France has a huge illegal, you know, gun smuggling issue. Korea, you know, the gun problem in Korea is basically non existent 
insist on. I think the, these are some things that we should keep in mind, engaging how you know, vulnerable Korea is uh, against potential terrorist attacks. Right. It often gets lost that um, with these terrorist groups, it's not a simple matter of just snapping your fingers, say, let's attack this country, let's attack. This takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of their resources. It takes uh, something that they have a finite amount of resources to spend on. And to say that uh, with the list of countries that we hate, uh, let's target some somewhere in South Korea, probably uh, pretty low on the priority list there. However, on the flip side of this, um, the fact that it is monocultural, you still get some knee-jerk reactions to now this, and it's a big, bigger debate in, in a country like the United States, where now they're saying, well, are we going to start becoming a discriminatory or a, an intolerant nation? Is that uh, just an example of in my neighborhood, and we have these kind of internet message boards, there's one resident who was raising alerts saying that, oh, there's plans to open a, a halal supermarket in one of the apartment complexes. And, and they're saying, we can't let this happen. This is going to be so you know, dangerous for us. We can't have a halal market. And so you know, to, to, to most rational people, you would think having the meat and food prepared in a certain way does not necessarily mean terrorists are going to come swarming in and attack that apartment complex. There is that risk here with the xenophobia kind of being notched up, especially in regards to this kind of fear-mongering that we're hearing, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think it, it, the more the government and media talks up the potential terror, uh, you know, uh, danger, I, I think that kind of fear-mongering will be a natural byproduct of, you know, such reporting as well as the government's stances. It's uh, something that, of course, is worrisome, but I guess as we go down, the worrisome thing for the uh, privacy and civil liberties advocates will be, Will this bill actually pass? Will the government now use this to try to clamp down on any type of dissent? And uh, we worried about all of our communications uh, being monitored now. Um, Professor Kim, I guess this is the final question, but what is your outlook on the issue in the coming months? Uh, you pointed out they're not agreeing on any of these more higher priority issues. Do you actually believe uh, ultimately this new anti-terror legislation will uh, have enough traction, short of, I suppose, God forbid, an attack on, like, let's say, the Yuksan, the 63 mm -hmm. building, that this thing will pass? Uh, it's hard to say. Um, again, uh, this bill is a part of uh, other quite controversial bills uh, to be um, pending to be passed or, or dead. Um, and uh, there is still quite strong opposition uh, from the opposition party, not only from the opposition party, but the big um, uh, groups in uh, Korean, Korean uh, society. And um, there are hardline folks in both parties, um, and you know they seem to be you know not agreeing uh, about anything, uh, pretty much. So it's hard to say that there should be there will be, there will be a compromise uh, made on the, some of the controversial issues in this bill. And uh, also there is a, a, a time uh, limitation. Um, this present National Assembly session will be over this weekend. And um, there will be um, New Year's holiday in lunar calendar next week. Um, the Blue House seems to be pushing um, that these bills to be passed, at least some of these bills to be passed uh, before then. Uh, but uh, we are going to have to see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they would, and there's that risk of using the nuclear option and just ramming it through without the opposition present. But if they're going to spend that political capital 
it looks like they would probably choose a labor reform bill to be pushed through over this if they're going to have to use that kind of capital and, and get the hits back. Professor Huang, overall, would you agree? What is your outlook? Um, do you think this is a, a thing that we'll actually be talking about a few months from now? Yeah, I mean, I, despite the rhetoric, I don't think this is a really that high of a priority item for the government or the ruling party. So, And just one more thing as a background. Some version of the anti-terrorist bill has been around for the past 15 years. And I think the fact that it hasn't really passed for the past 15 years tells, tells you something about the fact that it, it is not a high priority item in Korea. Right, and, and that's actually you bringing up an important point here because the uh, conservative side, the ruling party side, has been using that as sort of their weapon, saying it's been in committee for 15 years, but hey, you guys, the opposition, when you guys were in charge, you were the ones that actually proposed this bill, and now you're against it. You're flip-flopping on us. Whether that is enough to uh, give you the traction to pass it, probably I think um, we're seeing that... Um, some pessimism uh, for uh, from our panelists here. But it was a great discussion. I want to thank both of our guests for joining us. Professor Huang, as always, a pleasure. And Professor Kim, thank you once again for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you very much.